Back to work here. Let's get started with a little bit of news uh, to begin with. We may not, not get to all of it. And we got to, of course, do the Southeast Division. Young players, Danny and I, there are uh, a lot of young players in the Southeast Division who's doing a lot of, of rebuilding, but it was a good chance to catch up uh, on some of the lesser luminary players in that division and, and see who we might like. But I think the place to start here is just that it seems like the NBA has made it through this critical first period here it's been now six days seven days i think since the last of the teams arrived on july 9th no positive tests inside the bubble we there were two that were caught in the quarantine period in orlando but there's since the period where the players have started having close contact with another they have not had any positive tests i don't know if we would get a discussion of a positive test that was outside of the players necessarily but yeah, a lot of players still aren't necessarily there, but inside the bubble, it seems to be working, Danny. Right, and that is the most important fa- factor in terms of whether we actually get games in what would be two weeks from when we record this. would be the first thing, and that's awfully exciting for the two of us. And we're also starting to get some preliminary indications on how the the league might try to handle next season. You and I both, you, you know this obviously far better with the COVID Daily News, but you and I have both expressed significantly more optimism about the viability of the Orlando bubble than the viability of the 2020-21 season, which will not all occur in a bubble for a variety of reasons, instead would be primarily in, in home markets and travel and all that. And we started to get a little bit of an inkling that maybe they would consider delaying the season or these other complications, partially because there could be a very logical and unsurprising difference in gate revenue if they push back. Yeah, it does look that way, Perhaps if a vaccine or other treatment became available, perhaps if other research shows that the threat has become reduced, whatever that might be. Uh, But it does seem that for the time being, fans in the stands are just not going to be possible for an indoor sport. In particular, Philadelphia has outlawed all gatherings over 50 people. That includes even outdoor sports for the next seven months. Uh, And you would imagine that many other cities uh, would be shortly uh, behind them as uh, cases continue to explode. And there are fears, of course, that in climates that experience more of a winter that we could get a second wave in the fall. But getting to the plans for next year, it appears that the plan for the NBA is to allow local governments to regulate crowds at sporting events. And so you could say have teams in Florida allowed to have crowds and teams in California, maybe not, uh, or Philadelphia, obviously. So the other thing that really stood out to me from the article by Tim Bontemps and Brian Windhorst was only a 20% escrow in player salaries for next year the the assumption seems to be it's going to be around 109 million dollar cap same as this year for next year and if fans are 40 percent of revenue and there's a pretty darn good chance you're not going to have fans then 20 percent escrow that if the players can get that i mean that to me sounds fantastic and you think yeah. about the there's a potential idea maybe they could do clawbacks in future contracts but i mean i would i would if i were the league i would argue for a larger proportion that and even the the uncertainty here like yeah there's a possibility that there could be fans for a portion of next season but we don't know how large a proportion we don't know if that's going to be uniform or you know like what the estimate of that change of revenue would be and the other kind of element of this that i thought was really interesting is 
kind of trying to piece together all of these disparate elements. So you have one part, and this is something uh, Seth Partnow actually brought up really intriguingly in on, on Real GM Radio when I had him on like three weeks ago, was this idea of the NBA trying to kind of push through a lot of things right now when the revenue is actually lower because of the fans and then potentially hurting themselves when things open up a little bit more. And it sounds like maybe the March delay could be kind of a counter to that. But what do you stop about? It's like, you know, yeah, pushing, adding this extra month basically with the seeding games, that does make more money to fulfill these contracts now. But if that ends up jeopardizing anything for later, then there's more money to be had in the 2020 slash 21 season, ideally with a full season than there is right now. Yeah, perhaps so. On the other hand, I mean, I think, you know, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush as far as I'm right. concerned. This is a way that they know that they can, it looks like it's going to be safely. Uh, those are the indications, at least early on. They know they can actually do this. They don't know that they'll be able to do next season if you, you'd be forcing players to either go into a bubble or just chance it, whether they're going to be responsible in their home markets. I think the pretty sorry record uh, in just the number of players testing positive between June 22nd and July 7th, as they reported back to their home markets, uh, is a pretty good indicator that players are not necessarily going to be able to be careful if they're left to their own devices in their home markets. So I'm glad that they did it this way. I think as we turn to the idea of next year, the NBA may again have to get creative. And it appears that uh, according to uh, Alex Silverman of Morning Consult, that they have three scenarios which call for the season to begin in December, run through July 2021 with some variability based on how COVID-19 is evolving. And one of those scenarios actually involves returning to a bubble, but with no more than 20 teams playing within it at a given time. Now we did see how long it took to ramp up and get players back into the bubble maybe the hope would be that you could reduce that time period down to maybe about 10 days or so of quarantining to get back into the bubble and that hopefully guys would be able to stay in shape enough or have been able to use their facilities enough to where you could at least know that games were taking place and you weren't getting infected maybe that that would have to be the way they would do it uh there's also thought that they could push everything back and then break in july for the olympics uh, if things start too late uh, that's another thought here but uh let's run through the rest of the news uh, around the league uh biggest is probably that russell westbrook uh, has tested positive for coronavirus uh, james harden there was speculation that he might have been also but he uh said that it was a family issue he is now in the bubble clear quarantine and practice for the first time today with the rockets reports are that he looks good westbrook we don't have any understanding of whether he's experiencing symptoms uh, or not as of now, but he is the biggest name to not be there at the moment. Yeah, he is. And Harden could end up being emblematic of the what kind of feels like certain players got a little bit more latitude to delay. I mean, with LeBron, it was a couple days, but with Harden, it was a little bit longer than that. But it does look like since he cleared quarantine that the rumored... And and who knows, like he has the, you know, disclosures can be whatever he want, whether he had COVID. But I mean, I think the, the indicators we've gotten have made it less likely that he did have that and just and more likely that he just had another reason. Um, we with Westbrook, I talked about this with Jonathan Sharks on Real Gem Radio on Monday, I think came out on Tuesday that I, I've had some like when when that positive test came out, I, I was thinking about how Daryl Morey and to an extent, Mike D'Antoni re-engineered this team around Russell Westbrook and how I mean, hopefully he can be back and be full strength by the time things things really count but it would be so surreal to see this team that was built around his specific strengths and weaknesses have to play without him and maybe that puts more on eric gordon's shoulders puts 
more on Austin Rivers' shoulders when Hart, when Harden's not on the floor. But it, w- it would definitely be weird because remember, like that's why they traded Clint Capella functionally for Robert Covington was because they didn't want two non-shooters on the floor. Yeah, and you uh, imagine that as long as uh, Westbrook doesn't have any severe complications that he can at least get back for uh, the playoffs. Cross your fingers uh, on that, of course. Zion Williamson had to leave the bubble today for a family emergency and the default is that he would be facing a 10-day quarantine when he comes back including testing with the nasal pharyngeal swabs that's this is an excused absence it's not an unexcused absence however if he were able to get daily coronavirus testing while he's gone he could have as little as four days of a quarantine once he returns so we don't really know exactly what the logistics are of him getting tested daily and getting quick results when he i don't even know where he's going to be during this family emergency so that's all up in the air the nba didn't have any better answers about what the criteria are going to be maybe they themselves don't know whether they're going to be able to get him testing or not certainly they're able to get rapid testing for all these players in their home markets but you know if he's going back home to south carolina or something for a family emergency it might be harder for them to get those logistics in place also worth noting that he was dealing with some cramping uh, per Shamstrania supposedly wasn't a, a big deal as he was ramping up but you'd have to imagine Danny that even if he comes back you know he misses a few days comes back misses four days of this, this quarantine especially because of his body and stuff just from the missed times in terms of getting his conditioning up to ramp up for the season that at a minimum he won't be playing his full minutes right when the season starts that would be my expectation as well and the unfortunate thing as the NBA dealt with in the regular season as well is that pinning some of your national television hopes and everything design Williamson while this is totally not his fault like there's just always uncertainty with everyone and I'm not blaming obviously Zion for this at all it's just the you know the league had this excitement and justifiably so because of how awesome he was when he played put in the first game and they can't fudge this to make sure that he's back on the court like it's too important yeah i mean some of these tv executives might just be like flying with him to like personally deliver these coronavirus tests to him every day because they definitely are going to want him back and we want him back too because we're gonna be doing the nba cast uh, for opening night on uh, friday july 30th sacramento really struggling with things right now uh first off harrison barnes uh, announced uh, that he is still out due to COVID 19 he said in a statement that he is mostly asymptomatic which is not amazing um you know again you don't know exactly what those symptoms are but if he's having any kind of shortness of breath or something you would imagine that that would impact him in his bid to return and hopefully obviously the concerns are not any worse than that and alex len another who he pretty early on was identified as someone who had tested positive in that first round of testing he apparently has yet to join the bubble in sacramento as well then Rashad Holmes crossed out of the bubble to pick up some delivery and now he is on double secret probation quarantine for 10 days in his room he has to do the nasal pharyngeal swab and uh so this this was definitely he and Bruno Caboclo were kind of uh made examples of you could say during this period but you know Holmes now I mean they gave him some exercise equipment in his room but 10 days just being in your room that's really going to set him back just as far as being able to uh, participate when things start and now De'Aaron Vox uh is to be reevaluated in seven to ten days with a sprain of that left ankle that's the same when he had the grade three sprain on how does that affect things for them i mean it's it's considering now he basically these two weeks that you were hoping fox would be able to ramp up and help push the kings potentially into 
into a battle for a for maybe for the eight nine. Instead, he's going to be using that time to get better, and then he's going to have to ramp up after that and sit, reevaluate it in seven to ten days, as we say. You know, we're we're usually in in our, our normal form here. Reevaluated does not mean back in seven to ten days, and so if that starts pushing beyond that, we're starting to get into games. And Sacramento, not only do they have to make up ground in terms of number of wins, but they have a lot of teams to jump. So their if their goal is to actually make it into like a a, a knockout game, you know, that into that series any limitations on Fox are going to be really devastating. Yeah, once more, again, I mean, younger players, probably easier for them to ramp up. But yeah, that's definitely a concern for Sacramento. Let's stay in the kind of the bubble, the the bubble hopefuls with San Antonio. Trey Lyles had to have an appendectomy and is now out for the entire bubble period. I mean, it doesn't look yeah, like San Hopeful might be overstating their chances <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at this point. Well, I mean, they still have hope, just not much. Um, so, so they're... <laughs> that that's going to be you know it's it's not a, a devastating thing for them but it is it is definitely a challenge considering well, well they've got like one established big man on their roster now. i mean lyles he was yeah. gonna probably take the place of lamarcus aldridge uh and maybe start with pertle in the front court and now that's not gonna happen and then they you know so maybe i guess it'll be rudy well, I mean, gay and pertle they, they can just start them. marcus morris or davis bertans oh yeah um boston Kemba Walker was struggling with knee issues before the shutdown. Some speculated that part of that was just playing that whole Elam ending in the All-Star game. Uh, But he is now on a day-on, day-off plan as he tried to build up. He's been getting some soreness in his knee. He did say today, oh, it's nothing, I'll be ready, blah, blah. But uh, he's really having to take days off with really no activity at all so again with him ramping up that's something to watch Celtics are going to need him in their first run series but that's still you know about a month away hopefully he can get there and the Celtics relatively secure in that three spot this uh, certainly is probably a, a chance for Toronto to breathe the sigh of relief as well there's some chance the Celtics could maybe catch them but with, if Walker is going to be limited in the beginning you know I, I think the Celtics are just going to take a very easy approach yeah it was basically like the Raptors need to go five and the Celtics need to win out and it's going to be harder to win out if there are any limitations for for Kemba what else we got here uh Nikola Jokic is he's in Orlando he has been uh cleared from quarantine I think did he take the court on Thursday I think he's he's either back or close to back now finally yeah yes he's waiting on or was waiting on physical testing just to, some heart testing but he was he has been cleared from the coronavirus but uh Troy Daniels who remember just signed with the Nuggets shortly before the shutdown uh he said today that the team only has uh eight to ten players there (laughs) so seven and nine have yet to arrive and uh Monte Morris Michael Porter Jr. and Gary Harris uh, are not there so speculation is that they uh have the virus uh, so the Nuggets have a lot of depth but they uh they may need it early on here they're another team that's looking relatively safe in uh that three seed right now probably not much chance of catching the Clippers However, um, this Victor Oladipo thing is pretty interesting. It is because there is now the possibility that Oladipo is going to play. We lamented, not criticizing his decision, of course, but lamented that he looked like he was not going to mix and made Indiana a significantly less compelling team inside the bubble, especially for the playoffs. And now he might play. And there are complications in terms of whether he whether he can get paid because there is this, um, the league kind of trying to set a line in the sand said, hey, if you opt 
out, then then like is and it's discretionary. That then the understanding was that you're not going to get paid, and that if you then change your mind, then that that basically that that's not okay. They don't want to keep that door open. They want to close it. And then that also gets into something that you and I talked about back when it looks like Oladipo wasn't going to play. Of how enforcement of that, like, can the team just say, hey, we're going to pay the player anyway? Yeah, and that seemed unclear to me in the protocols. But supposedly the Pacers want to pay him, and no, it's actually is going up to the league and the league is saying hey you said in comments that you're feeling healthy and feeling great which you know of course he's going to say that because he doesn't want to impact potential future earnings Uh, but as it turns out you know he's got about three million bucks uh, on the hook here as it turns out he's went down there he's playing five on five and he said now after saying that he wasn't going to play and making the announcement himself rather than through the team that he's feeling good and he's got a decent chance to play and supposedly the reports out of Pacers camp uh, are that he's been uh, among their best players uh, which you know would be important because when he came back he really was over reliant on the three ball wasn't hitting that incredibly well and we just we didn't see the type of finishing that we did we did see uh good stuff from him defensively but we didn't see that same dynamism as a driver the Miami Heat it was reported that two rotation players in addition to Derek Jones Jr who has now returned uh had tested positive for coronavirus and it, Goran Dragic said that Bam Adebayo and Kendrick Nunn are not with the team so those are likely the other two who tested positive I just don't know what their their situation is going to be as far as being able to get back hopefully they are not suffering from a ton of symptoms Michael Kidd Gilchrist has yet to join the Mavs in the bubble no indications of whether that's COVID related or not but Rick Carlos said we're working to get him here logistically and we hope that it happens soon Kid Gilchrist remember even a lot of people probably just forgot that he actually was on the maps he signed there uh as a buyout candidate and for Philly Ben Simmons looks like he's going to start at power forward looks like Shake Milton is going to start at point guard and Al Horford is still going to come off the bench and everyone's saying that that of course uh, looks amazing in camp and uh the Nets saga continues in terms of their roster machinations oh boy yeah so Michael Beasley who they signed as a replacement he he tested positive and was one of the well, was one of the people that was caught in quarantine remember he was already going to have to serve a suspension inside the bubble because of the because of previous conduct and he will not return so they signed Lance Thomas to replace Michael Beasley yeah Lance Thomas gives them a little bit of combo forward he spent three kind of lost years with the Knicks and I think he's was out of basketball I don't know if he played at all this year maybe he had like a cup of coffee somewhere um sorry guys it's been a while uh and I'm not gonna waste computer power googling whether Lance Thomas played this year or not uh I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that he didn't. I, I hopefully I would remember that. Uh, this is another win for the NBA's G League Select Pro Pathway at Jonathan Kumiga, who is a top prospect for the 2021 draft. Uh, athletic wing, uh, he will be joining that as well. Interesting that he only got 500k, whereas Jalen Green is reported to get as much as 1.2 million, and maybe that's because green was the trendsetter and also that was really before it, it seemed like we knew that COVID-19 would probably be affecting the college season uh Kumiga actually reclassified to this year's high school class so I guess he, he was class of 2021 top prospect in high school so he, he's a different draft than green and Cade Cunningham etc initially but he was able to finish up high school and now he will be in that G League Pro Pathway program as well so very interested to see how that turns out especially if uh, there isn't a G League season and then the last thing I want to talk about here is we'll keep an eye on this but 
These, this, there's two things that I think are going to be a big part of the finances in terms of BRI. One is whether NBA teams are able to get insurance for the impact of the virus. I actually did a whole episode on the COVID pod with my mom, who's actually an insurance lawyer talking about this very early on just for all businesses but the idea basically the rockets are suing their insurer for business interruption uh after their claim for the coronavirus was denied there's uh, some interesting legal issues uh, for this we don't need to get into that but if and there are many many cases going on not just in the basketball world but just any business of whether in fact uh, business interruption insurance is covered worth noting that this is a different policy from what wimbledon and the ncaa had because those are ev- specific event cancellation insurance as opposed to this where there's just a more common day-to-day business interruption and so whether physical damage to property is required for that or whether the virus can count as physical damage to property that's probably the legal inquiry but uh if all these nba teams can get insurance coverage for all these losses that's going to be huge obviously for everyone's bottom line and then does that count as part of bri sure as i would be arguing that it does if i'm the nbpa uh and then the other aspect too that i think is key for finance that we don't know anything about is are these nba teams actually paying anything in terms of rent to their arenas a lot of businesses have basically just stopped paying rent when they're closed down due to the coronavirus and so are nba teams able to get away with that to some degree are, are they having some of those rent obligations abrogated uh that'll be very interesting to know in terms of what the losses are going to be as well same thing maybe with you know debt service for a, a team like the warriors that built their arena privately so all that's going to be very interesting in terms of these negotiations that are going to have to happen within the next couple of months uh, to set the stage for the 2021 season. Are we ready to move on to the Southeast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, where do you want to start here with the Southeast Division? A lot of, lot of teams that have a lot of young players here that I'm eager to talk about. Yeah, let's start with the team that I think has the most young players that we want to talk about, and that is the Atlanta Hawks, headlined by Trey Young. This was his second year, his age 21 season. 30 points, 9.3 assists in 35 minutes a game, 24 PER, 60% true shooting on 35 usage, and then on top of that, uh, using basketball references version of 45.6 assists percentage and then one of the things that i think is a, is a truly incredible trey young stat he's shot 36 percent on 9.63 per 36 minutes and 36 percent you know the volume is incredible but 70 percent of those are unassisted and he so he made 34 percent of 7.7 pull-up threes per game yeah that's a lot of pull-up threes and it's enough that you know that's not an unbelievable percentage but that's enough that teams just completely change up their defense to guard him like you they do not play him just with a normal drop coverage there's a lot of double teaming at the point of attack and Trey's a a pretty good passer to get off the ball uh, in those situations and set up his teammates um and then you know i'd love to see him get it more of these catch and shoot threes he's been awesome in that situation but they don't really that hasn't been the emphasis of their offense and they don't really have anyone else to, to set him up either yeah i mean there are a couple different ways to, to do this so young shot 47 percent on catch and shoot threes this year and a way i, I did this on um, the nba's tracking data trey young has the best catch and shoot efficiency of any high volume pull-up guy in the league and so that you know two different skills but it makes sense that trey's great there and another way of putting that is synergy what synergy classifies as catch and shoot were only 8.3 percent of trey young's 
possessions, but he did 1.4 points per possession, 1.38 if you want to be stingy. That's one of the best one of the best scoring averages in the entire league on those shots. And he's very good on pull-ups, but they're just less efficient. You know, he's about a point per possession on pull-ups, which is fantastic. But it's, you know, it's a point per possession versus 1.38. Yeah, and I thought that note that you had about where he fits in among the guys that attempted five plus pull-up threes per game was really interesting as well. Sure. So there were eight guys that attempted five or more pull-up threes per game. And Trey Young was actually seventh of those eight in three-point percentage on those shots. He was ahead of only Luka. Luka's at about 32%, so doing that. But for point of comparison, Trey Young, 33.5. Harden at 35%. Devontae Graham at 34. And then Damian Lillard, I believe, was the gold standard at 40% on pull-up threes, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, those are very difficult shots, but those, you know, there are, like you said, eight players in the NBA who take that. That is a very rare skill to be able to get off that many three-pointers off the dribble. I mean, Trey had an incredible end to last season where he averaged, I think, 24 and 10 uh, starting in about February. And the thought was, oh man, like, you know, what if, what if he could be this player over an entire season? And in fact, he turned into a much better player even than that. Uh, you mentioned that it, he had a big increase in free throws. Uh, yeah. Increase, uh, he, uh, yeah. Six free throw attempts per 36 last year, 9.5 this year. And when you make 86% of them, like Trey Young did this year, that's a, a, a huge efficiency boost. And so Trey, he did he did do better from three. He took more threes per 36 and went from 32% to 36%. But you look at those, those kind of foundational things, you know, BS foul drawing, as you like to call it, getting to the basket a little, he didn't get the basket more, but I think some of those converted into free throw attempts. But he also just shot so many more threes that when you look at, so like on basketball reference, you look at the proportion of shots. You have to also remember that, like that's kind of where some of these trade-offs go. But also with Trey, something that I've been very fixated on is that, you know, the, yeah, the Hawks, they had a bottom 10 offense overall for the season, but they were middle of the road when Trey Young was on the floor, and they were just a tire fire when he was off the floor. They were below a point per possession when Trey Young didn't play. So that obviously, that's not his fault. And then you remember the surrounding talent due to injuries and John Collins's suspension that he didn't, he, I mean, to be league average with the surrounding talent there, I think that's an accomplishment for Trey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the, those numbers love him. Those numbers also hate his defense. We talked <laughs> a lot about about how I, I think that that is you know he's definitely terrible don't get me wrong but you know there are still much bigger problems with their defense than Trey Young and to give him that much of the blame for their defensive struggles statistically you know I, I don't necessarily buy into that I think if he were on a competent team you know he wouldn't help them but he wouldn't be just like you know single-handedly torpedoing their defense from the guard position I mean I think his floater game has gotten even better this year as well he also had the most assists to baskets in the restricted area in the entire league this season and the assist numbers are down a little bit but also remember that you know the Hawks as a team shot what like 32 33 percent from three and Trey Young is shooting 36 percent so think of how bad everyone else is shooting threes and so if they just made a few more three-pointers he gets his assist rates up even more because uh, he does set up plenty of three-pointers as well so he is going to be in the regular season at least I think he's going to be one of the best offensive players in the NBA very soon the statistics already think that he's one of the best um what's your development grade for him 
nine. I mean, he can't, he he didn't really get much better on defense, yeah. so I can't give him a ten. Yeah, I mean, and he he started the All Star game. I'm not sure I would have had him starting the All Star game. But he definitely was a deserving All Star. Well, like I mean, trade this, this year. So if we want to use those, we want to use the uh, the on off stats. Number two in offensive RPM behind Giannis. Number three in offensive PIPM behind Luca and James Harden. I mean, what else could you ask? I mean, he's this was his age twenty one season. Yeah, I really think that people don't understand how good he is because he's on a losing team and they don't understand how bad the rest of these these Hawks were. John Collins. Collins is age 22 season. Remember that he is uh, he is extension eligible after this season, which is a complicated thing. I've, I've talked about that with Chris Kirshner, actually, of The Athletic uh, earlier in the hiatus. 21.6 points, 10 rebounds, and 1.6 blocks in 33 minutes per game. But remember, Collins only played in 41 games due to his suspension. 23.5 PER, 66% true shooting on about 23% usage. And importantly, for the idea of Collins as a power forward, when it, you know we, we've talked about that more focusing on, on his defense rather than his offense, which I think is the reason why Travis Schlenk brought in Capella and Deadman. But Collins shot 40% on 3.93s per 36 this year, which is both the highest rate and the highest percentage of his career. Yeah, now one of the things I like about him so much is that he can either roll to the basket or he, he can pop out uh, for a three. But yeah, if he's going to be playing more four, that's really critical. And he looks very comfortable out there uh, as well. I mean, he is still not really creating much of his own offense, but as a play finisher, he has been uh, outstanding. So he's a very difficult player to value. Certainly, I think, you know, when you look at some of these crazy numbers, 66% true shooting and 24 PER and great rebounder, great finishing, you know, I do think that really overstates where he is. I'm very interested to see how his extension negotiations progress for that reason. Uh, I focused in a little bit more on his defense because I think we have a pretty good understanding of what he did offensively i did think he took a step forward defensively this year in particular as an off-ball help defender to make a few more plays at the rim part as he had played a little bit more center than he had in past years um but you know he's still i think a negative defensively his pick and roll defense in a conventional style which you know i think he's gonna have to do a lot of uh, still even at the four you know he's not a natural switch guy um you know he just really rarely was active rarely in a stance uh, he uh, my analogy was that if you remember like early basketball video games when you'd be controlling someone on defense but they didn't really know how to like animate someone getting into a stance and sliding yet so you would move the joystick around and it looked like they were just kind of like walking or like running upright to like get places on defense and it's so, like that's kind of what he looks like when he's defending he, unless he's like on the ball out of the perimeter he really doesn't get into any kind of a stance at all um he did actually have pretty decent numbers as a switch guy and i thought he had some okay possessions there um so maybe he could be a little bit better than i'm giving him credit for as a a defender in space as a four but then also your other problem is to be a guy who's going to crash into the paint and then close out to the three-point line you also don't have a ton of confidence that his motor revs high enough to really do that and that's where we've seen guys these more traditional power forwards demontis sabonis uh, another example struggle to get out to the three-point line uh, as well to guard against uh, guys who can shoot it uh, from out there so definitely steps forward for him you know i'd give him like a solid six in terms of his development rating but just because of the type of player he is it's just he definitely is getting much better at the things that he's better at and he's able to make a few more plays at the rim defensively than in past years but you really wonder about how he fits in on on a high level organization and also how much he benefits from playing with trey young yeah collins feels to me and we've made this i mean 
I think of, though Collins is way better than Marvin Bagley, it just came up in Bagley's section of like, they're more floor raisers than ceiling raisers, but Collins is young, you know, this is age 22 season, he can he can improve at the things he's bad at as opposed to improving at the things he's good at, and that, that'll help a lot. But let's move on to Cam Reddish, number 10 overall pick, remember the haul that the Hawks gave up to the Pelicans to move up to number four, did not include the number 10 pick where they drafted Cam Reddish, started down, ended up doing better later on, but didn't get the full season, so the sample part of I mean, so the whole overall looks worse. Uh, 10.5 points, 3.7 rebounds in about 27 minutes per game. Started a little bit over half of his games. 9 PER, 50% true shooting on 19% usage. And I just wanted to have both these in there. 33% on 5.83s per 36 overall. He did shoot 37% from December on, but it all counts. Absolutely, it does. And for the first two and a half months of the season, he may have been the worst rotation player in the NBA. I mean, he and DeAndre Hunter playing a bunch together, it really torpedoed a, a lot of the Hawks season. Kevin Herter missed time early on as well. That that was difficult for them. And you mentioned 37% from December on uh, from three, and he was really torn over his last 15 games where he was well over 40% from three and also really had it going from the mid-range. He does uh, more off the dribble as a pick and roll guy than you might expect. And, uh, you know, I watched some of his clips from that last 15 games or so and you know, he's shooting it with a lot more confidence even taking some deep threes off the dribble when the defense went under uh you know that mid-ranger off the dribble looked pretty good he definitely has a very solid handle for his size um big problem for him overall was finishing at the rim offensively i mean even during his good stretch he was still only 56 percent at the rim in those last 15 games and around the basket in the half court 45 percent so uh he's a good but not great athlete uh, he really struggled to finish at duke uh, as well um you know uh, he has one move where he'll go to his left and can take off from his left foot and finish with his left hand but other than that it really looks ugly for him as a finisher he'll try these finesse finishes he'll lose control of the ball he's not really able to seek out contact he just he's got to slow down a lot uh, on some of these drives where he gets in the lane and needs to just either make plays for other people i mean there's, there's just so many plays where the big is in position and reddish just jumps right into his body and you're not going to get a foul on that nba bigs are too good at, at verticality so he's got to just come up with some kind of another plan and, and slowing down i think uh, can help that to either let him see shooters more or you know get into more of a euro step package type of game or draw some fouls because he's just out of control on a lot of these drives and it, it has some very ugly results well and i think reddish is the kind of the end game with him when you think about players who have a little bit of ball skills but aren't good enough to be an initiator on a good team is that he probably ends up using that as a as you said like driving closeouts more as a you know two dribbles and a good decision he can do more than that and, and I'm, I'm excited about that he can do more than that but scaling it down a little bit i think could help and obviously getting stronger will, will make a difference with Reddish as well though i don't think he's ever going to be great finishing around the basket knowing what we know right now yeah i mean that is one of the things that does get much much better uh, among young players we're going to hit on a couple in this episode who really have gotten much much better as finishers um you know i think i i feel better about him I got a question for you. Would you rather have Cam Reddish or RJ Barrett going forward? Reddish. I, I think Agreed. I, I like his defense more. 
and I think that Reddish's game is more conducive to being a complimentary player than Barrett, and I don't think Barrett's chances of being a, a lead guy are high enough to justify that disparity. Yeah, and now, you know, these last 15 games or so, that's a big reason why we're talking about Reddish, but, and I do think he's got a little bit more juice. Is he going to be their second perimeter guy next to Trey Young? You know, can you build around him to that extent? You know, I wouldn't say that, but I think he has a chance to become something like that, but he's well, got to get much better as a finisher and a shooter and a passer but there's with the ball handling skills that he has and the raw shooting ability and his size there's something here there is something there and i really like what's something i really like about reddish is that even if he doesn't end up being the starting caliber player that i I think he could be and he showed at moments this year having him in your rotation is still a godsend because getting him 15 to 20 minutes and then if he need to scale up because a guy's hurt like there are so many teams that just need a player who with his size so desperately and that's part of why Travis Schlenk went after forward kind of forward sized guys with both of their top 10 picks and why I think I I was I was uh, editing the final draft of my offseason preview for them my solo one for the athletic why I think that's actually a reasonable use of either their cap space their draft pick this year or both not because Hunter and Reddish have been massive disappointments and you want to throw everything out but because you just need as many of those guys as you can when you have Trey Young spoken for and their big man rotation is pretty well settled too yeah absolutely as Ethan Strauss likes to say you can never have too many wings another of those is DeAndre Hunter out of Virginia fourth overall pick they traded a boatload of stuff to get him uh, at that that fourth pick um, I'll talk about his defense first since that's what he was drafted for. In isolation defense, I really like what he can bring. He's not going to make guys uncomfortable, but he slides his feet extremely well for his size, and he does have that true combo forward size. He's not an amazing leaper, um, but he really moves his feet well, and a lot of times you'll see guys think they have him beat. He'll cut him off, but then he is, at this point, very vulnerable to the next move, the spin move back. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's one play where Pascal Siakam just like left his jock strap sitting on the floor that I watched. Pascal is a great spin move, obviously. Um, but, you know, I be, I think of him as not as good as this guy getting over screens and guarding smaller players, but just a solid defender in the Clay Thompson mold of just he's not going to make any plays off the ball. But as an on-ball guy, he's sturdy. You're not going to be able to go through him. And he moves his feet pretty well. And he's usually going to get a pretty decent contest. Um, The only problem, though, is he was drafted to be more than that and to really be a defensive difference maker. And yes, it is very valuable to just have someone who's not going to get run over by some of the best offensive wings. Uh, and, And I think he can be that guy. But he also had 18 block shots all season. 42-year-old Vince Carter averaged 10 times the number of blocks for 36 minutes as DeAndre Hunter did. When he also didn't get steals. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. 0.8 steals per 36 minutes uh, as well is not uh, very good uh, at all. Uh, what about from an offensive standpoint? What did we see from him? I don't think we saw the, uh, necessarily the capacity for him to be a higher volume player. Uh, there were some moments, in, remember, in preseason that we got a little bit excited hunter had the ball in his hands more than we expected but the overall are partially you play with trey young you know deandre hunter started 62 games played a lot of his minutes with trey that just leaves less creation opportunities for other guys but 
also Hunter's not as good as Trey Young at doing that, so it's not a big deal. Nine PER, 52% true shooting on 17.5 usage. That's below kind of the 20% threshold you want to th- if you want to think about that, dividing the five positions equally. He did shoot fine on threes, 36% on 5.4 per 36. You'd like to see the frequency a little bit higher, but the percentage there. But the other concern, 45% for DeAndre Hunter on two-pointers. 59% in the restricted area, but only 30% on floaters. And worth noting, getting back to that playmaking from preseason, 44% of Hunter's two-pointers were unassisted. Yeah, I, I think that's something that eventually kind of needs to be cut out. Like a lot of young players, I mean, I think they were encouraging him to explore the studio space. They did only really have one guy who was a, a quality option as a dribbler, and guys like Reddish and Herter and Hunter were really the secondary playmakers, and all of them were really stretched in those roles and yeah the usage is not that high but he was doing all you know pick and roll ball handler 19 percent of the time that's a, more than you would expect for him as a pure support guy i mean i was very disappointed in his ability to drive and finish off of closeouts you know that's something where he really needs to get a lot better at uh you know and he doesn't have amazing athleticism unless he can really load up inside for a dunk and there is some versatility to his game you know if you look at some of the synergy splits you know he's doing some stuff off of handoffs and off of screens and uh even doing you know 34 isolations and and so there's some variety there but he's not really that good at any of it and so it's uh, I think a role reduction, especially if Reddish improves, if they get one more guy in who is a, a ball handler, maybe get more of a solution at backup point guard. Hopefully, he'll reduce his usage down and can take some more three pointers. And, and him, he's one of the few guys who actually could make a, an open three pointer on this team. But uh, yeah, let's turn now to uh, Kevin Herter in his age 21 season. Yeah, so Herter, he he missed a little bit of time, not as much. I don't know why I always thought of him as being hurt more this year. He played in 56 games, 12 points, four assists. Yeah, so 1,700 minutes yeah. this year. So he, I think it's just at the very beginning when they were really sucking, he was yeah, out. Yeah, that and, might be and the, that linger, the lingering thing there. Uh, played yeah, th- and that was at the same time when Hunter and, and Reddish were really struggling Correct. as well. Um, So Herter played 31 minutes per game, 11.5 PER, 50. 55% true shooting, which is about league average, on 17 usage. So again, below that 20 threshold, 17.5 assist percentage, basketball references version, 30% on about seven threes per 36 minutes. Frequency and success rate about the same as his rookie year. Still not getting to the basket, still not getting to the free throw line. And that's part of what makes it hard for Herder to be more efficient, even though he's a very capable shooter. Yeah, he is. And, you know, I thought his shooting didn't take a huge step forward this year, just in terms of watching, like his shooting off the dribble in particular is a little weird like he kind of has to like bring it up way in front of his body and then reset it it's not like a smooth compact motion in particular off the dribble um you know i think he's still an excellent spot up option to be sure he also just had to play some point guard with some of their issues this year too which uh, you know he's he's got some ball handling ability but he looked a little awkward trying to to bring the ball up at uh, almost six eight you know he does have some passing ability in particular he throws some nice full court passes in transition uh I like that a lot. Um, what you would hope that he could do is evolve to more off-ball action coming off of screens. Most of those that looked like as I watched them were specifically called plays for him to do that. It wasn't really, you know, kind of Warriors-style improvisation. But he doesn't seem that comfortable shooting on the move without his feet perfectly set. Yeah, and the, and the numbers weren't particularly good. 
14 out of 44 uh, coming off of screens um he shoots it okay off the dribble in pick and roll from two point range doesn't take as many of those from three but and then you mentioned never getting to the basket he had 150 possessions in pick and roll and on only 20 of those did he get to the rim um so that that was not too good does have good bounce as a rebounder that's one thing that i like about him uh, and defensively the numbers are terrible and the film is not good either he's just a very kind of upright player doesn't have a great wingspan uh is certainly someone who maybe on a better team would be attacked more often there were no shortage of those candidates on this year's Hawks team. Yeah, and some of those, like the on-off metrics, were rough on Herder, Herder's defense. I think some of that will look better with capable center play. But you know, he's not re- not definitely not a value add there at this point. And speaking of not a value add, let's get to Damian Jones. Number. Th- oh, I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say. Speaking of capable center play, let's get to Damian Jones. Oh boy. Um, so this was Jones's age 24 season. I still think it was bizarre that his that his option got picked up. Going back actually two options ago, I actually wrote a piece for the Athletic Bay Area arguing that both he and Looney should get their options declined. Ended up happening with Looney and being the incorrect decision that I advocated for. And then Lo- Jones got picked up and then the next one did too. He played a lot. He played uh, about six points and four rebounds in 16 minutes per game. Actually started 27 times for the Hawks this year. Um, and he had like some of the the all and overall stats, the efficiency ones look great for Jones. 16 PER, 71% true shooting, but on just 11 usage. But that's because he takes almost all the shots in the restricted area, and actually was pretty efficient with that. But he's not—he's not there defensively. He doesn't really unlock anything offensively. So maybe he gets another—you know—gets another chance at this as, as things progress because he has some physical tools. But I wouldn't give him regular rotation minutes on most teams, if not any team. Yeah, I mean he's atrocious defensively. Um, close your eyes for a second in case you have basketball reference up. You want to guess how many fouls he? average for 36 minutes 7.8 <laughs> no it wasn't that bad uh 6.0 fouls per 36 uh, minutes which is uh which is the exact number of fouls that you get for a full game yeah so uh jones did, i mean he actually even tried to take a, few, a couple of corner threes i mean he can dunk right around the rim that's really his only skill uh, uh and as a pick and roll defender uh, he is uh, really just lost in space terrible help instincts and fouled like crazy i mean they've been working on verticality with him for a long time and he hasn't really been able to uh, avoid fouling um so yeah i mean i i think he especially at age 24 i i would not be looking to uh spend a roster spot on him at this point bruno fernando 34th overall pick in the 2019 draft another guy you know he's not ready for prime time is a little undersized they tried to play him even at the four a little bit there's some theory that he could have some stretch ability um but that uh didn't stretch very far now 14 percent on threes two two per 100 possessions um but the reason fernando was below he's a 54 percent true shooting was also partially because only 58 percent of his shots were in the restricted area and for a guy who didn't really make a ton of perimeter shots that's that's pretty rough and he only made 30 percent of floaters this year i think that could improve for fernando and it, it is kind of funny like the the on off stats liked his defense more than i did from the eye test but i think some of that is just how abysmal the this the the some of the groups that the hawks had out there in comparison you know this is he's kind of on the other side of that bad starters okay backups kind of part of this where you 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 look better because your counterpart is worse but he's still not he's not terrible obviously so um fernando 20 percent defensive rebounds two percent block rate i see him as more of a like piece of a rotation rather than a like 
key piece of a rotation, I guess, if that distinction matters. But he's 21. They can give him time to see if there's more there. Yeah, the theory of him was kind of more of a Jordan Bell type center who could do some switching. And he does have decent mobility, uh, but not really that impressive as a help defender. Only a 2% block rate, which is not amazing for a center. And, and only okay as a rebounder. I, I'm not going to say that he is never going to be anything. You know, I wouldn't want to, he was very much stretched as a center. I wouldn't foreclose on him becoming a, a decent enough backup. Uh, clearly wasn't ready uh, as of this point. Uh, Brandon Goodwin, who was on a two-way i think they signed did they sign him to a full deal i believe so that's a question i'm actually willing to look up and answer they did oh even better if you're willing to look yeah, it up and he answer. he is um per eric pinkas he is uh his salary is only a hundred thousand guaranteed for next season um so that they have some time but it's a minimum contract for next year yeah, so Goodwin, the numbers on him are terrible again, you know, but as I watched him, I didn't think that he was that bad. You know, he has some pretty decent athleticism. He's not a great shooter, but he'll take him. He got up 7.33s per 36 minutes. I wouldn't want to trust the backup point guard situation to him. And in fact, they traded for Jeff Teague so that they wouldn't have to do that anymore. Um, but, you know, I think he should be in the mix for next year. I think there's a chance he could emerge as a reasonable backup point guard option because I, I like his athleticism. He can get to the best. It's not a great distributor uh, that's a definitely a weakness for him but as a guy you can dribble you know he plays hard defensively and at least will take a few threes uh especially off the dribble like he definitely should be on this roster next year i think well yeah and, and you can also look for goodwin at a larger sample of his his g league time over the last two years goodwin shot 38 percent from three last year 39 percent this year and then in those 1500 minutes over the two combined years 58 percent true shooting on 24 usage now the g league is not the nba even backup point guard but yeah i i I've long felt the team should keep three point guards on roster because at least three, sometimes I would even argue four, because it's so important to have 48 good minutes there. And I think Goodwin can be a part of that and he's making the minimum. So why not? Oh, I, I realized we forgot to give development grades to uh, Kevin Herter. I'd say he's you know about a four for him yeah i I go i I was thinking a five but i go four he didn't really improve much defensively he's more the same guy and with him there is real room to grow especially not getting to the basket more um and i just realized this damian jones should not have even been on this list this is his fourth year I guess you just no, really wanted uh, to talk uh, oh, about yeah, him that oh, badly. Oh, yeah, you're huh? right. He was. I just I just had it wrong in my head. Well. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> uh, Damien. Yeah, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll be charitable and not give him a, a development rating. Let's go to the Miami Heat. They're an unusual team in terms of this, young, of this young player list because we generally define it in terms of years of service. That's three or fewer years unless it's somebody, you know, we really want to talk about or somebody who doesn't have enough of a track record. So they have some older guys that qualify for this, but that does not apply to their star young player and that's Bam out of bio. Bam averaged 16 points, 10 and a half rebounds, and five assists in 34 minutes per game. Uh, 21 PER, 61% true shooting on about 21 usage, and his assist rate almost doubled from last season, which is fantastic. And remember that he shifted from being primarily a backup behind Hassan Whiteside to being a starter. So his some of his numbers going down a little bit when you think about the quality of opposition, also some of the uncertainty in Miami's rotation due to injury and just kind of figuring stuff out. I, I, I think he, he had a better offensive season than I expected, and that's not even where his bread is buttered. Yeah, I, I mean, that's 16 points a game, and that's more than I, I, I would have thought because I never look at the <laughs> points per game anymore. But uh, yeah, the odd-off numbers 
really liked his defense i mean he really can do everything defensively he can switch i mean he's the, he can guard power forwards he can even switch onto point guards uh, pretty well he's incredibly strong i actually talked about him as maybe the most athletic player in the whole nba uh with hollinger when we did our superlatives episode um oh so something i wanted to ask you, something i wanted to ask yeah. you about bam i was talking about it um sam vicini had me on game theory about a week ago we were talking about best defenders in the league and something i brought up with bam is that i actually like him better as a switch defender than as a rim protector like it's just it, it just with kind of his build he did that such a good job of Russell Westbrook and other things and so it is I do really like him as a defender I think that and especially 22 like he can get a lot better as a rim protector get stronger and everything else but it is like generally speaking I gravitate the other way but I do of course see his his utility as being so great at what he does yeah and he can absolutely guard stretch power forward just fine playing next to a, another center I mean I agree I think is certainly if you compare him, he is if you want to say he is you know in the x percentile of bigs as a rim protector versus the x percentile of bigs as a switch guy absolutely i think he's much higher as a switch guy but i think he does a pretty decent job protecting the rim as well he runs the floor in transition he can grab and go uh he has really been a key to miami's system where they are among the best in the nba in cuts and he assists on a lot of those they do a lot of that elbow action dho's for guys like duncan robinson in particular they just have a lot of ball movement and he is really the hub of that stepping forward in a way that i think you know not a lot of people saw coming out of kentucky that he was going to be you know a five assist a game throw the ball to him and let him find cutters type of player you know he was viewed as like this unskilled rim running dunker type and that was pretty much it so yeah we saw his ball uh, handling really really that first summer league yeah. i think we saw more there than we expected because we hadn't watched the film on right him. yeah and i mean another big success story in terms of development for miami so i mean i think you have to give him a nine in terms of his development rating he's a and deserving all-star this year the uh on-off numbers reflected that and you know we've talked about him a ton i think people know his game pretty well at, at this point Let's turn to Tyler Harrow and his age 20 season shooting guard out of Kentucky in the pre-draft process was well known for having a pretty short wingspan. He famously said that he wasn't aware that his wingspan was so short and he just tries to make plays defensively and defensively yes he does try hard he plays bigger than that wingspan he's feisty pretty good endurance and effort level but there's always going to be a ceiling on that he really at best is going to be a two-position defender might be a little slow afoot to keep up with point guards. So look at him mostly guarding shooting guards, and that potentially could be a problem as you're talking about a Heat team that has some real aspirations in the playoffs over the next few years. The top line numbers for Hero, 53% true shooting, 11.4 PER, rarely gets to the foul line. Does actually get on the defensive glass reasonably well for his size. And 22% usage. The really impressive number is 39% from three on 7.1 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. And he was known as a shooter. So you always wonder when you see these guys, 39% three-point shooting, how's he 53% true shooting, which is three points below the league average? Well, he shoots it poorly from two, 43% from two. And he's certainly been given plenty of license to explore the studio space in Miami with that 22% usage pretty high for that player type you know for example Duncan Robinson is down in the teens and that's because Hero is doing much more off the dribble pick and roll his most used play type 
And inside the arc, he really struggles to finish out of pick and roll. Only got to the basket 19 times and was five out in 19 finishing at the basket out of pick and roll. And then also really struggled on runners out of pick and roll, though he was much better on runners overall. So it's, and then you could also look at two point jump shots inside the arc as something else that's really killing his efficiency. But that excludes the fact that he was unbelievable as a more conventional shooter catch and shoots per synergy unguarded catch and shoots over 76 percent field goal percentage on unguarded catch and shoots absolutely awesome numbers as well on coming off of screens again when he's able to get that three-pointer off on catch and shoot he can come off of screens for three-pointers and that can only be so much of your offense but it's a really good foundation because when you look at him out of pick and roll, if he can add that type of shooting off the dribble and he has been willing to take those shots to what he's done as a catch and shoot player, then you're going to really have something because he probably doesn't have the juice as a finisher to really draw the defense and set people up. And two point jumpers are are only going to scare people so much, but if he can start pulling that three on pick and roll and coming off of screens, then you could really have something. And he definitely, if you compare him to Duncan Robinson, he's much feistier defensively, even though Robinson has the superior height. It is difficult to play those two guys together though, much as you might love to. I mean, you would think that Jimmy Butler in kind of a point guard role, role hero can do some secondary ball handling, but you get just fantastic shooting from Robinson and hero, but defensively you might struggle there, but maybe if you have Butler and Bam on the floor, that's enough to keep you afloat defensively while you bomb away from the outside. So I do think the hype of hero is a little bit much at this point. You know, I'm not seeing a future all-star here because he just doesn't quite have the athletic juice. And there's all this talk that he's totally untouchable. I think he's going to be a good player. I think he could be a starter, but some of the physical limitations may keep him from growing beyond that. But definitely a, a lot to like from Hero in his first season. And it's just going to be interesting to see in terms of his development, is he going to evolve by taking fewer shots and specializing more as a three-point guy, particularly off the catch? Or is he going to get more efficient off the dribble, whether it's shooting that three-pointer or at least finding ways to get decent around the rim? I mean, I mean, I do wonder about his finishing because his arms are pretty short, his hands are small. Some of it is just the typical rookie decision-making where he's just going into guys where he's got no chance and he'll, he'll get out of that. But he doesn't have a ton of craft to just kind of go as fast as he can to the rim and hope that he beats the defense there. So uh, he's got a lot more development to do if he's going to fulfill some of his offensive potential. But at a minimum, you know he's going to be, I think, an excellent shooter for a long time for this team. And then Duncan Robinson, who I, I don't think we can give him a development rating because he really didn't play at all in the NBA last year um but he's come right in as a starter and i'm not going to call him the best shooter in the league because he's not taking those tough off the dribble attempts the way some guys are but as an off-ball shooter you know with the demise of clay thompson and seth curry this year he might have been the best and jj reddick not getting quite as much time he might be the best off-ball shooter in the nba yet to use synergy's version of the stat duncan robinson 1.36 points per possession on 425 catch and shoot possessions so that's that's ridiculous that's 95th percentile the way synergy does it and duncan robinson overall 45 percent on 10 threes per 36 minutes that is more threes per 36 minutes than trey young which is pretty incredible um but 
still, Robinson, 12.8 PER because his usage is so low. His usage was actually about 16%, even though he had 68% true shooting, and because he doesn't do a whole lot else. He's not, not getting, grabbing a ton of rebounders, not making, not, not assisting, not doing anything else, but has a ton of gravity as a shooter, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, and when you look at 10 threes per 36 minutes, when you consider that he doesn't have the option, like a lot of these guys do, of just running a pick and roll and calling his own number, this is all off the ball stuff. And yeah, I mean, he and Bam Adebayo, you know, are just a horse and carriage. I mean, they, they are like just perfect synergy uh, between those two guys. And to get up that number of three-pointers moving off the ball and basically everything that he's doing is shooting a three. Um, You know, so you don't think of that as self-created, but he shoots it on the move just incredibly well and i mean to shoot 45 percent, he's really just an incredibly valuable offensive player i think people just don't have a good understanding of it and i also again credit the heat development because this is probably the third guy now that they've had this great success with of getting them to say hey you're just gonna bomb it and on the move you know wayne ellington was the really the first of those guys so he was only the second guy but uh you're just gonna bomb it on the move and we don't care if it looks like it's a bad shot and he causes this panic in the defense and uh it's really good defensively i got concerns though yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that the the on-off stats like Duncan Robinson's defense and that this might come up in the bubble that I, I think there's there are ways to attack him. It's He just seems, he seems so limited. And remember, like, as a regular season defender, teams r- rarely change their strategy. They kind of do what they're going to do. But... Yeah, but, but I mean, point made, though, there were games where teams really did make a point of going at him. True. It shows you how, how, and, you know, Miami doesn't have a lot of other weak links, so that's part of it, too. But, uh, no, I mean, I think he's going to be, he's going to have a target on his chest for sure. I agree. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye and and how. But the va- the value of having a player who defenses have to keep track of even when they don't have the ball in their hands that, that it ju- it can just put a lot of stress on that and it makes life easier on yeah. their shot creators and that shot creator group includes Kendrick Nunn, another one of those. I mean, he's not as much a development success story as much as an identification one because Kendrick Nunn was available to every team as a G League player towards the end of last season and the Heat picked him up and gave him basically gave him money for the 1920 season and I believe and, and the 2020 slash 21 season and none responded starting 62 games and averaging 15.6 points 3.4 assists with league average true shooting on 24 usage and so to go from the G League to that is really impressive yeah it is uh you know you started most of the year he's not really a distributor as evidenced by only that 3.4 assists in 30 minutes a game he also I fear is maybe one of the most overrated players in the NBA right now. I think maybe people don't realize how old he is. They he started off the year with some big games when Jimmy Butler I think had like a personal absence and so that was kind of a sticky impression overall. I think he's definitely a, a rotation player. He's got the ability to create shots mostly long twos uh, and he's a, a capable defensive player. Um but if you look at some of his shooting splits, he's very dependent on what might not be sustainable shooting as of this point. Right. And so for, for none, if we look just at this season, he took 
just 20% of his shots in the restricted area, did make 63% of them, then 14% from floater range, 11% from 10 to 16 feet, and then 12% from 16 from 16 feet to the three-point line. So he's taking as many two-point jumpers as he is shots in the restricted area. And now that totally works when you're making 48% of them like Hendrick Nunn did this year. But if that 48% drops to 42% or something like that, then the overall efficiency just drops off a cliff and there isn't much of an indicator that he's going to like get to the basket a ton more that you remember he's age 24 it's not like there's a a ton of body development maybe the heat can get a little bit more out of him than other people so it's a positive story but something that I want to keep an eye on this year is how much does Pat Riley lean on Kendrick Nunn's successful season because remember Miami has all this flexibility they have some cap space this year they're also looking at 2021 do they add another capable point guard do they think oh Kendrick Nunn has it even kind of like he he fits in within this team he was successful this season because I think they need somebody else because otherwise they're too tied to Nunn's success or failure yeah, and the fate of Goran Dragic will certainly be an interesting one. Casey Akpala recalled that the Heat traded to get him from the number 32 pick. It was originally Phoenix's, then Phoenix gave it to the Pacers to get off of TJ Warren, and then Miami traded for that pick to get Akpala out of Stanford. Relatively unskilled, it's maybe started to show a little bit of 3 and D ability in his last year at Stanford. This is age 20. He's only played 26 minutes with the big club, and so I was had to go down into the G League to check. I mean, he's the number 32 overall pick. I wanted to at least see what's going on with him. And uh, very little was the answer. I mean, this uh, I'll, I'll run through these stats pretty quickly. But, I mean, the first number that jumped out was for all possession types on Synergy, 0.66 points per possession. Massive turnover rate. Uh, you know, he's playing really a four, maybe even a small ball five. At times, he had like a bunch of illegal screens, a lot of turnovers. Um, defensively is supposed to be the big appeal, but it's really only a steal and a block per game, which is okay-ish. But given what the hopes for his athleticism would be in the G League, where he should be a better athlete than just about everyone, uh, it didn't really work out. You know, he's still pretty thin. I think he could get better as an athlete, potentially. And so, you know, I think maybe he could uh, evolve into being a decent defensive player. But, I mean, the offense was so bad. Uh, I mean, as a finisher, uh, I was just about ready to turn off the TV when, uh, for the third time in a row, he just Euro-stepped right into a guy (laughs) when he could have just gone straight. I mean, he was basically, like, predetermining what he's going to do five steps ahead of himself um you know he tried to grab and go but he's a very limited dribbler like he's almost one of these guys is like almost carrying it just about every time um he only only took two yeah i was gonna say he only took 39 three-pointers in the g league and when you're playing as much as he is there that's a problem yeah those two three-pointers again he played about 20 games um also like his first step wasn't really that good either you know he wasn't uh, really able to blow by guys even in a closeout situation and somehow he's only 35 out of 80 around the rim in the half court and then two of 18 on floaters and 10 of 44 on jumpers in the half court he was no higher than ninth percentile on any shot type uh, whether around the rim runners or jump shots in the half court. So pretty, pretty rough start there. And, you know, the Heats are one of the better developing teams 
Hollinger and I didn't pick them as the best, but they're right up there uh, when we got asked that a couple weeks ago. But man, uh, he's got a long, long, long way to go. Chris Silva, we can talk about briefly here uh do you have anything to say on him or i, I can just give a quick yeah, summary i just I, uh, I like the energy he plays with we saw we saw him with the big club a little bit and i like him i don't know i don't know if he's good enough to be pencil him in for 10 to 15 minutes a game as a big man there's the the supply there is just so ridiculous right now but i like having him on roster we talked about this a little bit with juan toscano anderson back in the pacific division because he just plays so damn hard yeah that's, that's a great point he's definitely one of the hardest playing bigs he's undersized uh but doesn't quite have that truly elite level of springs you know if you wanted to compare him to like a norvell pell for the sixers right like he doesn't have that type of size or shot blocking ability he will just fight like crazy on the offensive glass you know the i i would think of him as kind of maybe like an undersized thomas bryant you know that maybe that's a more of a a good comp for him i I think bryant's offensive tools are better oh yeah for sure i mean part in part because he's brian has a better shooting ability i mean he's he's uh chris Silva is not going to be a starting center i mean but i think he can come in give you a jolt of energy every once in a while and fill in okay enough at backup center he is under contract for next year fully guaranteed at the minimum and then a team option the following year so you know i think you keep him around as he'll be a great practice guy great team guy good spirit guy but just know that you he's probably be your 13th man and be fine with that and that's uh that's reasonable um let's see here this is taking a pretty long time let's do let's do one more team and and see where we're at who do you want to do next oh let's let's keep the other two kind of sexier teams for this potentially for a part for a part two and let's do the washington wizards um because that also leads us to rehash wait wait, wait, so so the magic and the hornets are the sexier team compared to the wizards young guys yes we're grading we're we're on a sliding scale here nate (laughs) not every division can be the southwest which is probably going to take us like two and a half podcasts to do oh yeah 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 there's there's some good players in that division um but so Um, let's do the whiz uh rui hashimura lottery pick this year played played a lot 41 games and all started all 41 13.4 points six rebounds in 30 minutes per game 14 per 54 percent true shooting on about 19 percent usage and the big question for me with hashimura and we talked about this in a 15 and 60 i think about halfway through his rookie year of what what became his rookie year i guess he could you know his rookie year is not over yet and it's I'm really skeptical of his path to success offensively. It's just such a narrow track. It's not impossible. Like he has some tools that, that genuinely intrigue me, but there just aren't that many players who've succeeded in that way in the last ten to fifteen years. When you say he has some tools that that intrigue you, what, what do I you mean, mean like by that? he's his touch around the basket is 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 better than I kind of better than I thought it would be. He uh, he pushes in transition. Like he, I, I like I like bigger guys that can that run the floor hard. And yeah, like that, not with the ball. No, saying, no, 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 not with the ball in his hands. Yeah. But so like, yeah, yeah being a, a, a you know, and then he, there are times that he can kind of work his way to his, he can work his way to a spot, but I, I don't love his jump shot as much as some other people do. He didn't, didn't make the threes at least this year. And I don't like him. I mean, the, the other element of this is that some of the guys who have been productive without a reliable three point shot, it's been because they're better at creating for others. Like DeMar DeRozan at the times that he's succeeded, like he's a better passer than I think some people give him credit for. And I haven't seen as much of that with Hashimura. No, no. And he's, he's obviously bigger. I mean, he has excellent athletic tools for a combo forward. Sure. And I think he can, I think he could be as a, a guy who's going to guard the best players one-on-one in an ISO. You know, I think he, 
might actually hold up okay there just because of some of his uh, physical tools now everything else other than that defensively is not really there he doesn't make any plays at all which is a shame because he really has the athleticism to do that um offensively you know he's got this mid-range game you talked about that as a finisher yeah i thought he was really outstanding he's got an excellent left hand he loves to to come in and dunk with the left hand or, or double pump and scoop it around people he looked best offensively as a guy rolling to the rim you know if and he was playing maybe power forward with mo wagner you know he could look good there you know sometimes he and bertans would play up front and that was obviously uh a rather flammable defensive combination i saw there's a game when the that i saw in person where the clippers put up a buck 50 on on the wizards because uh they it was just like hachimura and bertans together in the front court a, a lot of the the way um the jump shot is is a major concern from three he shoots a very flat ball which works better from the mid-range but i mean so many of his misses were short um just he's got to get more arc on his shot shoot more of a set shot um you know he took as many jumpers off the dribble basically as catch and shoots yeah that that surprised me as well yeah yeah so i mean he's not taking that many threes right 2.2 threes per 36 maybe a little better from the corner again with that low arc it's a little easier to shoot it from closer uh just doesn't have a ton of feel either i mean he's just you know came late to the game and he's got a one-track mind you know he's not able to create for anyone else out in the mid-range very very limited passer if he does dribble it in transition he's got his head down he's not really going to be a grab and go guy he's got to just run the floor instead so you know he put up some big scoring games on occasion particularly on this wizards team which is a really good offensive team uh and basically anyone who tried to do anything around the basket whether it was bryant or mo wagner or hachimura when he would roll to the rim or even uh Andrzej Pashniks, uh, pretty much anybody who was trying to score around the rim with this team it could really get going at times because they had a bunch of other shooting and weapons out there but no i i'm uh there's still the tools there but they're just it's hard for me to see someone with this little feel ultimately being a quality starter uh, at this point in time not saying it can't happen because he does have those physical tools but uh and i'd feel much better about him if he just had a passable three-point jumper but it's just it's gonna be he's gonna need to perform some surgery on it like he's not gonna be able to make it shooting the ball with the type of arc that he has right now let's jump to troy brown jr this was his age 20 season so troy brown is actually younger than hashimura 10 points five rebounds in 25 minutes per game started 14 of 61 14 per 53 percent true shooting on 17 usage and his assist rate actually dropped from last year brown made 35 percent of his threes again a low attempt rate 3.4 per 36 and something to keep an eye on brown only attempted 28 percent of his shots in the restricted area but made 70 percent of them and that 70 percent is a number you'd be very happy with absolutely that he has had a massive improvement as a finisher you know i think there are times in the in his rookie season when he was shooting you know around 50 percent at the rim and it, i thought i was surprised to see that number when i saw him early this season because he does have a nice feel for finishing he can move the ball around uh, use the rim to protect himself um you know and he, he makes some finishes where you see him and you're like oh the big's in position how's he gonna make this and you're like oh no he figured out a way to do it so that's something that's really nice uh to see from him other than that though you know i do wonder even on the offensive end before you even get to defense just what his role will be uh, do you see that for for him as well i, I do and and one of those we, we brought up you know hashimura having some more shots off the dribble to catch and shoot troy brown using synergy splits 105 catch and shoot 
possessions, 100 shots off the dribble. And he wasn't great at those shots off the dribble. I don't think that, you know, there were times that they were trying to make that happen. The Wizards were trying to kind of figure out where their offensive generation was going to come from. They had all these other factors well, but having dribblers and passers at times was a weak point for them. And so I think he can scale that down. But I also don't think Brown has the, really has the chops defensively to really step into a larger role if you scale down his offense. And I don't think he's a good enough shooter where that's like his calling card or anything like that. So I think of him more as a respectable rotation player than a starter on a good team. And as I've said a couple times in this podcast, that is there is still utility in that for a team, but there isn't as much as like a potential starter. Yeah, now they're going to need his pick and roll ability with Bradley Beal not playing in the seating. Oh, game, he's so he's going to get touches in in Orlando. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he he had some times where he would go on some nice runs when he played. He also had times when he was in Scott Brooks's doghouse as well for in theory not playing hard enough. You know, he's really kind of more two guard size. He's playing out of position at the three. Having they just don't have anyone who can guard the best threes on this team, and so uh, on certain nights he's really going to be overmatched there. It, it's just another one of those ones where I'm like, is the on ball stuff going to be special enough? You know, could he maybe evolve into you know an Evan Fournier level of pick and roll player you know a secondary pick and roll player you know maybe that's possible the three's got to continue to get but i mean his shot doesn't look bad it just has never really gone in for him at a crazy rate he did get up to 35 percent this year but then very still very low number of attempts uh, for a, a guy who's really a natural shooting guard 3.4 threes for 36 minutes and then the other thing you have to remember too is the offensive stats for all these guys are going to be really inflated just because of the way this team played and their personnel and they were just so skewed towards offense that it was it's just a good ecosystem to look really good offensively but that's because they're just not playing any good defensive players except like Jan Mahinmi every once in a while so you kind of take up some of these stats with a grain of salt we'll get to a few other examples of that here as well yeah and and so I don't think that's as much of we saw Troy Brown's finishing in other ways but it's yeah being able to get to the basket get get some clean mid-range looks and just the, the level of attention but let's get to Thomas Bryant he still qualifies because this was his his age 22 season and his third season he got cut by the Lakers and then claimed off waivers and then became a starter and got a new contract all before you know while still being eligible for this Bryant in his second year as a starter averaged 12 points and seven rebounds in 24 minutes per game he started 28 of 38 games that he played in 20 PER 66 percent true shooting on just 18 usage well 18 usage is actually pretty high yeah, for, for a big a, I guess that's tr- I guess role. that's true yeah as a, as a non-ball handler that's you're right yeah and one thing that he does do is he'll run the floor hard I thought really all of their bigs get through Haichi Murray in here Mo Wagner like those guys really ran the floor and helped them get out in transition um and he, he is a pretty solid finisher despite not having a ton of explosion 1.56 points per possession around the basket in the half court that's, that's 98th excellent. percentile really really good now uh, he only takes 43% of his shots in the restricted area, though. You know he has that cr- those crazy good numbers there. Uh, but so I think he's a, a decent enough offensive center. You know he'll start start to take some mid rangers, some three pointers this year, and we'll see whether that really becomes a big part of his game. Uh, but defensively, it's atrocious. Oh, awful! I mean, he's really bad on switches. Just 
can't really defend in space, but then also can't really recover particularly well. And I don't like him as a rim protector when he's in position anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, now what the Wizards did is they just decided to have him hang back uh, on the pick and roll uh, as far as possible and you know again it's not like the guards were getting these great rear view contests but the numbers in terms of opposing ball handlers and pick and roll they just shot a great percentage on mid-rangers great percentage on floaters and some of that could be luck but also he's not able to get out far enough on the floor to contest those shots at all particularly with uh, some of the sorry guards that they had uh, trying to defend these pick and roll ball handlers uh, so he's not a difference maker defensively well, he's uh, one of the worst defensive centers in the NBA. One other stat yeah, on that uh bryant contested 5.4 shots at the rim per game and opponents shot 61 percent on those now it's a small it's a, it's it's a noisy sample on that but that's an awful number for for a player who's actually a big man well in particular because of the style that right. they're playing right if you're if you're just hanging out under the rim and they're shooting 61% on you, like, that's not good, right? Like, you, you if it's one thing if you're out like, of the Like floor Wendell all the Carter, time, let's it, say, where Wendell Carter was yeah. out there a lot more, his percentage was around the same, but it's not as, it's not an equal comparison. Yeah. I mean, and now, you know, obviously you have to be close enough to him to get counted in this stat, but, you know, he's in theory just sitting there waiting for him and he still isn't able to have uh, that much of an effect. Isaac Bonga, in this, his age 20 season, came over from the Lakers basically just got him for free uh, as they needed to facilitate the Anthony Davis trade what were the uh, top line stats for him Bunga started 41 games out of the 58 he played in five points three rebounds about 18 minutes per game 11 PER 63 percent true shooting on just 10 percent usage they're the justice warranted <laughs> Um, and Bonga might be this year's best example of the difference between field three-point percentage and three-point volume, the, the value of volume. He shot 40%, but he only took two three-pointers per 36. That is an incredibly low number. He took 55 for the entire season and played played 18 minutes per game in 58 games. Yeah, so basically, if he had missed one, one more shot, his three-point percentage would have gone down by 2%. <laughs> it's basically what it is. So... Uh, that's that's where you see where the problems come in with that that sample size and clearly the reluctance to take those shots is a better indicator uh, than the percentage that he's actually shooting um but you know i, I again i don't think there's anything broken with the shot you know he's not a natural shooter he's actually a, a really more of a natural ball handler um now really where his calling card is going to be is his defense and it really i think the idea of him is more as a Tayshon Prince-style defender who was skinny, he was long, but actually didn't make that many plays. He kind of played more of a contained style defensively. And Bonga, 1.3 steals, 0.7 blocks for 36. Not as high as you'd like to see with a player who's really going to be having his calling card defensively, but he's not really a quick twitch guy. And his wingspan, again, you know, he's like 6'9", 6'10". Uh, so seven foot wingspan that's solid but not amazing for a guy with that body type where you're thinking he's gonna be a real defensive stopper he certainly was by far the best defensive stopper on this team even at age 20 because they just had no one else who was small forward size who could potentially guard those players um but he's not really like quick twitch enough he did get a lot stronger this year you know so so i thought that was something that looked really good for him where even as a driver he actually was able to do some stuff and you know low over his shoulder a little bit when the guy was not in charge position clear some space out get into some euro steps so he definitely got better he's another guy who really runs the floor hard in transition um but you know he's got those great defensive numbers in terms of rpm but a lot of that is just you know look who else was on the team uh then to really say that you know he's fantastic um 
but I thought this was a step forward this year. You know, I, I think I, I since he was just deemed completely not ready last year, you know, I'd have to give him a solid like six on his development. And the three pointer looks a little bit better. His uh, finishing looks a little bit better. So he developed. Yeah, I think I give him a seven. Actually, I think I wasn't very high on Bongo yeah. last year as a Laker, so he gets the benefit. Maybe I was I, I forgot to make the reference, but like it'll be interesting to see what Casey Akpala's development score is next year. Not that Bongo was quite that bad, but we'll get there. Um, Mo Wagner. Yeah. Uh, oh, we didn't do scores for Troy Brown and Bryant. I'll go for. I'll go a six with Troy Brown and a five for Bryant. Maybe a four. He's about right. His. I mean, I, I wish Bryant was. I think he could be. I don't think he could be a great defender, but I feel like he could be better than he is. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's let, I, I think he's just too too slow but um but yeah so should we move to uh, mo wagner yeah so wagner played 19 minutes per game 10 points five rebounds another one of those um periodic um offensive darlings for this wizard team that had a, a billion yeah. of them can i can i make a comment on that by the way so you know he was leading the nba at one point with like over 70 percent true shooting he finished up 67 percent true shooting you're like oh yeah stretch four like he finally figured it out right like he really struggled to shoot the ball uh in summer league with the lakers last year and so uh you know he must really be hitting his shots now he was 34 percent. he did all of his damage around the rim with that great finishing which was a big surprise to me yeah wagner took so he, so as a laker 37 percent of his shots in the restricted area made 57 percent of them as a wizard 50 percent in the restri- in the restricted area and made 79 percent of them and that's that was what drove his his gains in efficiency and i don't know if that's going to continue because we don't know if the fun house is going to continue but he also did show some real craft yeah i i think so i mean like he he's bigger than you think he's listed at 611 and he actually was able to get some dunks uh he's got nice touch with his left hand uh, around the rim you know again we, we're we have to caution uh, remember the situation um i thought this was also interesting as well again for a guy who's reputed to be a shooter He's rolling to the basket on plays that he finishes as the roll man. 80% of those are rolling to the basket uh, as opposed to popping, which he only does 20% of the time. Only had 13 possessions in pick and pop all year. And you thought when he was drafted out of Michigan, that'd be like what he would do the most. Um, I do like his drive ability. And particularly, he can drive pretty well off a closeout. He always goes right, but he's able to drive and stay under control, uh, make plays there. Uh, So, uh, and then defensively, I think he did reasonably well with verticality around the rim. You know, I think maybe he could at some point evolve into, you know, a poor man's Aaron Baines where, you know, he can't really explode that much. He's not going to have the strength of Baines, but Baines is a really good verticality guy. And, you know, I think Wagner could kind of be that at, at some point too. So, um, you know, I'd like to see still, you know, what is the special skill here? Is it, and you still, even though he finished pretty well, you don't think he's not like an alley-oop guy or anything, a gravity guy as a roll man. He can shoot the ball, but he's still, you know, that release is kind of slow. It just doesn't look that great. I mean, 34% and he was, he's been bad uh, overall in his NBA career, not a huge at- attempt rate. So, I mean, I think he gave him reasonable enough backup center play. He also had some issues, had had a pretty bad injury that kept him out. I think it was a really bad sprained ankle that kept him out for like over a month uh, around the new year. So, I mean, certainly he was completely unplayable last year and he gave them decent backup center minutes. So you have to give him, you know, probably like an eight. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking eight, but for, for Wagner to get from where he is now to like being a starter that you're comfortable with is is an even bigger leap than the one he's taken so far so kudos to him for for making that jump the the wizards still have yeah. him on a but but i i feel fine with him as my backup yeah, center sure. going forward here sure i mean especially when you consider that there aren't as many teams 
that are just going to totally expose his limitations. I think that Wagner has some real room to grow on that end. I have I have some a little bit of optimism, not for him to get to starter level, but to be capable enough that his other his other aspects can continue to to, to do reasonably well. And the reason I wouldn't go with something stronger like a nine or something is that I don't think all of this finishing is for real. Going from that Lakers situation last year to this Wizards situation, which is just so anomalous is going to make everybody's numbers leak there. Now, if that continues for next year, then I'll then I'll buy it more fully. But we're not there yet. Admiral Schofield uh, out of Tennessee, 42nd overall pick. Uh, Wizards kind of bought that pick from, I believe it was the Sixers. Didn't play much uh, and not really clear what he does. He's trying to become a better shooter. The hope was he could be kind of a P.J. Tucker type, and he is definitely like a brick shithouse in terms of his build. Uh, but uh, the feet are not that quick. And maybe if he can improve his technique defensively, get a little quicker and also make some threes, there could be some hope there, but didn't really see much from him. Uh, And this is his age 22 season as well. And also in his age 22 season this year was uh, our old friend Jerome Robinson, who the Wiz targeted to take him off the hands of the Clippers and save them a bunch of luxury tax money um but uh the numbers were a struggle they were so robinson played 55 games combined clippers and wizards averaged four points in about 14 minutes per game and these will sound a little bit like jacob evans six per 44 percent true shooting on about 15 percent usage and remember robinson a big part of the appeal coming out of boston college was him as a potential shooter 30 percent from three on just five threes per 36 minutes tried to do a little bit more with the ball in his hands i don't particularly like that part every once in a while he'll show a flash like he did that a couple times on the clippers but not enough for i I was never high on him and i continue to not be high on him and especially for players that have guard size that can't that aren't defensively versatile that basically have to have the jump shot it's you're they need everything to work and so far it hasn't for robinson yeah, the Wizards seem to like him for whatever reason. Supposedly they're into him around the time of the draft as well when he was drafted initially. But the ball hasn't gone in for him really at any point in his career. Uh, and even if it did go in a little bit more, he's not taking enough of the right shots. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, there's not really much to like there. Uh, our old friend uh, Anjus Poshniks, who had his rights as a first-round draft pick, completely renounced by the Sixers, and then came over when they just were completely destroyed by injuries at the center position in January. And interestingly, another guy who kind of had this reputation as a possible stretch big, uh, the big Latvian, pretty skinny, you know, really thought of as more of a stretch four. He basically took no threes at all this season, and so he was more of of a role man. He had some ability to kind of find spots Uh, along the baseline um he liked to get to a floater a little bit as the role man you know he wasn't as good of a finisher as some of the other guys that they had and his strength is an issue defense uh, overall is an issue i mean he performed better than expected but also not someone that i'm looking at to be a part of a rotation going forward right like Uh, you know i mean for me having a a third center it's really there are two different theories one is they're a gap filler so if the starter the backup especially if they have an injury history you don't worry about playing them 10 to 15 minutes per game the other is the upside play where maybe two years from now they could be a lot better than they are right now and remember poshniks is this was his age 24 season and the wizards did give him a little bit of guaranteed money for next year 250k but i just i just don't really see him checking either of those boxes and so then you let somebody else make that do that development if he ends up becoming better then just find somebody like that and pay him then 
Yeah, I mean, now if he starts to deliver on some of the shooting potential, then maybe it's a little bit different. But I mean, they basically just needed a body and he played better than expected. So I'll give him some credit there. Um, Jerome Robinson development rating. God, we're really way all over the place. Probably means it's time to end the show soon. But uh, yeah, his development rating, I mean, probably like a two. Yeah. Maybe even a one. I'll give him a two. Yeah um garrison matthews by contrast on a two-way this is age 23 season uh really liked what i saw from him only 227 minutes he had a big game and then of course because it was the wizard immediately got injured with a really bad ankle sprain but came back and i really like his ability to shoot it on the move coming off the screens we know uh, how useful that is uh, particularly from three-point range these days uh great shot prep quick release uh he'll even take pretty contested shots which i like he even got a couple of three-pointers blocked which that's actually okay to me when you're a great shooter if you're really trying to push the envelope in terms of the shots that you can get off and he can make them he shot it well uh with the the big club um and he shows at least some driving ability and passing ability to put it on the deck you know is he gonna be a solid defensive option at the two probably not but he's got you know a little athleticism a little juice he likes to sneak in for some offensive rebounds every once in a while plays hard so i liked him i think he's got an nba future potentially uh, if he can continue to shoot the ball i agree and he shot 41 percent on 7.3 three-pointers per 36 minutes of only 227 with the big club but yeah definitely some positive signs and yeah i i I think we're i think we're about done with the wizards guys jonathan williams was on the two-way i don't really have anything to say on him no just a lefty undersized center uh got some minutes early on with the lakers last year before they signed god how many former lakers does this wizards team have is it five well they traded for a bunch of them they traded for a bunch of them and then they already had thomas bryant and they it doesn't seem like they got the good former lakers as much as the pelicans did who we'll talk about in a future podcast yeah anything else to talk about before we go here we will save the hornets and magic for next time hopefully an hour 20 minutes is enough for y'all here but we had some news to get to so uh yeah i'll tell you our schedule hollinger dunk will be back this weekend i think we're going to take a look at the delete eight as he coined the term and danny and i will be back on monday and uh what do you need to plug before we get going here so the final delete eight collaborative piece uh, of the athletics that's dave dufour seth partnow and i that came out on the pistons on thursday and then the return of my solo off-season previews probably going to be the knicks on friday unless they unless they announce a coach hire before my piece comes out in which case i will probably it will be another team i actually have two ready so we'll see which one gets launched and then also i was on the uh, nerd she wrote podcast with dave seth and mo talking about the delete eight stuff and the bubble which was fun and if you haven't listened to it yet i did real jam radio this week with jonathan charks we talked westbrook and the rockets the Ma- the mavericks and the playoff series that we're we're most interested in so yeah there's a, a lot of stuff you can listen to and as you said dunked on i'll be back in a few days